Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 150, and we are recording our March 17th. I'm Sharika Williams here with Jen Northington. And today, it's that time again. We are talking about the best new books we read in the last few months because the first quarter of the year is already <laughs> ending. So unacceptable. <laughs> Completely unacceptable. Uh, not going to be sad to say goodbye to cold weather, but also I just can't believe how quickly time flew. But here we are. Same. Very same. <laughs> uh, before we get started, I'm going to tell you about something we have going on in-house, which is very exciting. We've talked about this a couple times before. It's the Deep Dive, which is our new premium newsletter. It's our Substack newsletter. So if you're looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from experts in the world of books and reading, definitely check out and subscribe to Book Riot's newest newsletter, The Deep Dive. This is where you can get exclusive content delivered to your inbox. You can subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. And we do already have a couple of uh, newsletter sends in the hopper. So there's really great stuff to explore in our archives already, as well as getting the newest uh, long form newsletter to your inbox monthly. And this is where some of our in-house experts share some longer gems based on years of knowledge about books and publishing, experiences as readers and book curators, and research on lesser-known histories to illuminate and inspire book lovers. This is $5 a month for the deep dive edition of the newsletter, which you get in your inbox twice a month. And if you want to think about it a little, if you need some time before committing to that $5 a month, you can subscribe to the Splash Pad, which is our free level, and that rounds up some of our experts' recommended reading and bookish lifestyle goods monthly. So again, you can check that out and hit subscribe at bookriot.substack.com. All right. Amazing. Yeah, it's super exciting. I just wrote one, BT dubs. So that is also in the archive and it was really fun to do something nice. a little different. Yeah. Nice, um, nice. Yeah. So before we talk about some news, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. 
Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what? <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Jen, do you want to kick us off with your first news pick? Uh, yes, it's actually super quick. It is time to nominate for the Hugo Awards. That's a thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. I am leaving a link to this year's uh, Worldcon site, which has all of the, that's how Hugo Awards get nominated. You become like a nominating member. It's $50 for a year. And you usually get like a packet of all of the finalist stories once they have the finalist list. Um, But you can nominate for the finalists. It's super cool. And I will just remind us all that people who love books and want to see Awards go to new writers, you know, writers of color, folks who are in the queer community. Like, this is how we get them on that slate and how we get them to the awards list so that we have a really amazing, inclusive final list to vote on. And then you get to vote. Like, it's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) I love voting on the Hugos. Um, it makes me feel so fancy, even though, like, again, <laughs> if you've got 50 bucks, you can do this, too. So uh, the Worldcon is being held in Chengdu this year in China. Um, so the site is in both. I don't know if it's Cantonese or Mandarin um, and English, um, but it is in English. If you are an English speaker, you can figure it out. I promise. <laughs> and yeah, it's pretty exciting. I've been like sitting here mulling. I have I have my form half filled out because some of the categories I just don't. I'm not up enough to nominate for. But then some of the categories I have very strong opinions about. And yeah. so it's really exciting to get those in there. Um, so, yeah, this is you'll find a link in the show notes. This is my reminder that, you know, the human goes our democracy and you can be represented i always appreciate the reminder um i definitely want to nominate some great books this year and i'm really excited to see that finalist list when it comes yes. out it's also just really cool to see the web page in two different right? languages yeah i was like wow mm-hmm. i don't think i've seen this before and it is <laughs> definitely easy to follow so I agree you can excellent you can do it um so I will be nominating as well this year and I can't wait for awards season it already feels like awards season it has started yeah (laughs) every other day it's like here's the next (laughs) list of finalists but but speaking of Mm. I might as well segue into our next bit of news which is the that the nebula 
Award finalists are in. So this is coming from the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association, as usual. And this is the 58th annual Nebula Awards. It's been around a while. We've talked about this just about every year of this show. And it's a a pretty strong list. Like, there are Mm -hmm. definitely some names here that I know and love. There is also, there are also a lot of stories that are reminding me that it's probably going to be time again at some point this year for a short story uh, episode here because I'm realizing that I am again behind on my short story reading because I don't recognize any of the (laughs) finalists for short stories. So I'm really excited to to check out some of those. Are there any finalists you are particularly excited about? You know, it's funny. I'm about half read on the Nebula Award for Novel, and I just recently added myself to the library waitlist for Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry, which, like, nobody will shut up about, but I was not on my radar. (laughs) Um... All of a sudden, I'm it's everywhere, and I'm like, huh. oh, I am I have missed this book somehow. So I'm waiting for my library copy to come in. But you know, I I do love this uh, short list for the novel um, category, and I'll, actually, I this is a really great list. Yeah, I, I'm seeing some names I don't know. I'm seeing some names I do, mm-hmm. which is my favorite combination. I feel really <laughs> good about the names that I know, um, and I'm excited to find out more about the ones that I don't recognize. I also was excited to see that Everything Everywhere All at Once is up for the Outstanding Dramatic Presentation category, which like, oh man, if that swept, you know, like a yet another award, I would be pretty delighted. But that category is like real good right now because we're getting amazing TV and movies like Andor is in here, Nope by Jordan Peele, Mm -hmm. Our Flag Means Death, Sandman, Severance, like it's a really stacked category. award slate for that one in particular i've i've seen pretty much all of those yeah for once i'm caught up on media (laughs) what that never happens y'all that's wild um but i have catching up to do in other categories so i'm i am excited if you forget the nebulas are the ones that are voted on by like professionals in the category like i cannot vote on the nebulas myself um so yeah it's a it's an industry recognition award. Yeah, I get to vote this year. It's really <gasps> do you? Cool. Yeah, I do. Oh, so that's I'm, super cool. I feel a lot of pressure. Yes, <laughs> it's so hard. I, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I'm like, jealous a little bit. I feel like you can vote too. I, I, I might be able to we'll didn't talk realize. about this. Yes. Yeah, we'll have to talk yeah, about it. I think interesting. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. But all right, all right. I'm in the same position. I looked at the the list of I haven't I don't think I've seen Andor. I definitely haven't because I feel like I would definitely right. know. You would know if, if you'd had. seen Star Wars. <laughs> it's yeah. it's a Star Wars. It's a Star Wars. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but everything else I have, and so that is also my strong category. I've been doing a lot of TV and film yes. watching, um, but really excited for everybody who made it to the finalist list. And I'll be over here sweating my decisions for this one. <laughs> Amazing. 
<sighs> oh, well, while we're talking about TV and movies, um, I'm going to dive us right into the D&D movie trailer. Um, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. What is the subtitle of this? Where is it? I lost it. Honor Among Thieves. So this uh, vulture has a update about this um, by Jason P. Frank. And the trailer is out. By the time you're listening to this, actually, the movie... Oh, it will be just a couple of days. No, no, it's it's March 31st. Never mind. I don't know how days work. Um, <laughs> but in any case, it is a bananas lineup, y'all. This is like, they spend money. Yeah. Chris Pine, Reggae Jean Page is in it. Michelle Rodriguez, um, Justice Smith, who is up and coming. Sophia Lillis was one I did not recognize. Hugh Grant? Is the villain like what? <laughs> this is I don't know. Did you watch this trailer? Should I did. I did. It's so fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And they did clearly spend a, an actual bajillion dollars mm-hmm. on it. Um, so they're going big and it does. It looks like a lot of fun. It's cool to see, you know, a, a mixy mixy uh slate of actors playing the main roles you know you've got your like you know Chris Pine is like the snarky thief and Michelle Rodriguez is the like very strong warrior and Reggie Jean Page is the sort of like paladin you know humorless uh stuffy paladin and it's just interesting to see the dynamics so um I don't know that I'll go to the theater I might actually this there's a lot of special effects y'all. yeah there's like dragons and <laughs> fireballs and it's everything you would expect so um, I am, I am reluctant. I was like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to want to watch this. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, maybe I do want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. So. I felt the same. I didn't know. I think that I did just not knowing what to expect going into watching the trailer. I didn't think I would be as enthusiastic about seeing it. But then I also read like in the intro to this piece, they said that it took some inspiration from movies like The Princess Bride and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I was like, oh, so this is actually like there might be some comedy here and fun. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, once you watch the trailer, it is very obvious that it's, you know, got some really great humor, some deadpan stuff and just Mm -hmm. like it's a, a fun sort of heisty uh, adventure comedy movie. And I still, to this day, like, know the basics only of D&D <laughs> and would yeah. not call myself a D&D person because I've literally never played in my life. But mm. I think somewhere else, either in this piece or one they linked to, somebody was basically talking about how it is very accessible to people who – aren't like players and it looks it yeah it looks it yeah but there's definitely some easter eggs in there i saw a few things that i was like oh i know what that is from ah. like, few, <laughs> i haven't played a ton but i've played enough to be like hey i know that um so it's definitely yeah it's definitely i think will speak to although i you know who knows how an actual purist would feel about it i'm not that person so i do not know but <laughs> it looks like a lot of fun um and you know it made me want i actually dropped this in our free ideas channel in slack uh in at book riot um, yeah. it makes me want like a a review of all of the D and D inspired movies that have been made because there have been <gasps> others that and like not that lot like 20 no 2000 oh my gosh which is 23 years ago now that is terrifying <laughs> 
There was one in 2000 that had like Jeremy Irons in it. Like it was a, <gasps> it was also not a low budget endeavor. I remember um, that. And then there have been like, like I was thinking about Knights of Badassdom that had Peter Dinklage in it, which is a LARPing movie based on, you know, obviously they're like LARPing D&D, but it's yeah. ba- very obviously based on D&D stuff. And I, and I have mixed feelings about that movie, but <laughs> you know, regardless, like there are a bunch of these and some of them have been like memorably bad. Um, and I don't know that any of them have been memorably good actually, but I was like, somebody needs to like do a, a rundown of all of those movies um because there are a bunch of them and i have seen almost none of them and i'm so curious which ones are like actually worth it so i i hope somebody will do that for me (laughs) i do too that's a great great idea yeah yeah well i'm excited to read that piece if and when it comes out and Mm -hmm. i'm kind of surprised that this movie is coming out march 31st i feel like every time we look at these Trailers and adaptations are like not out for a while. So I had to yeah. look three times before I believed it. <laughs> it's actually March 31st of next year. That would be more. <laughs> oh, is it? I'm kidding. I, no, oh, no, okay. I'm teasing you. <laughs> Could you hear the disappointment? You were like, <laughs> no. I was like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Oh, toying with my emotions. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Well, I want to close it out with a really great story. It's like a short soundbite, but so worth listening to. This is reported on by Ariana Prohl of KQED. So it's it's a bit of a radio snippet. And it's about this really cool, like, I think we've all heard about, like, book vending machines in various capacities around various Mm -hmm. parts of the world. And this is such a cool one. So there's this new book vending machine that was created to showcase uh, Black and Indigenous writers predominantly. A lot of them are books by women authors. And the founder of this online uh, bookstore, Sista Sci-Fi, great name, is Isis Mm -hmm. Asari. And Asari's goal was to increase the readership of this genre of Black and Indigenous speculative fiction and to make it basically, I think she said to make it as easy as getting like a candy bar from a vending machine. So that is Mm -hmm. the concept and that is the point. And this is just so cool. So the the first one is actually at Oaklandia Cafe and Bakery in downtown Oakland. And the goal is to get more of these, to place 10 of them across the country by June, which please consider Asheville. (laughs) (laughs) Can I add Philadelphia to your list? submit our nominations for the next spots but it's so cool it has uh this one has books for readers of all ages so it also has comics it has you know kids books it has books for grown people and whoever wants to read those books and there was some commentary included in this piece um from a co-founder of faya magazine which we talk about a lot and they were basically talking about you know it's still like there there's a lot more exposure than there was before 
to black and mm-hmm. indigenous speculative fiction and the writers of those books. But we, of course, still have a long way to go. Like people know some of the big names, but there are so many great writers out there who just need to be platformed and that need a space where people can explore those books and discover those reads for the first time. And so I was just really excited to see this happening. And it's always lovely to have one of these encouraging stories about people making these books more accessible to more people. And I wish uh, Sista Sci-Fi and Asari all the best luck in getting more of these out there. I really hope it takes off because I think this is an amazing, fantastic idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I will also say that I went to their site and they have some amazing merch, y'all. Like, I don't need more Mm. books in my house, (laughs) but I might need some of these t-shirts and tote bags. Like, there's a link in the the story um, to their site and I highly recommend checking it out if, if merch is a thing that you are a fan of. Where's my wallet? I know. (laughs) Sorry. Not sorry. (laughs) Uh, Well, that was our news. And we're going to start talking about our picks for this quarter after we hear from another sponsor. All right. I guess I'm up first. Um, And so I've been doing this experiment. I just wanted to start out by... Uh, You know I love an experiment. (laughs) Yeah. So I think – I can't remember. I might have talked about it here. But basically, I'm trying not to, like – I'm trying not to fall into another reading slump this year by Mm. forcing myself to read past a certain amount of a book or picking up books I'm I'm not really that excited about. And so I first wanted to admit that it was really hard for me to find science fiction picks specifically this quarter that spoke to me. You chose probably the only one that was really like, no, no, that is totally, I'm so happy that we're talking about it because I, it's just a great sounding book and I'm going to Mm. read it anyway. But Mm. um, so I just wanted to start out by saying both of my picks are more in the speculative realm. And I've really been reading a lot of disturbing and horror (laughs) books because somehow that's just what's captivating me. And so my first pick is one of the it's the it was the second book I read this year, and it was the thing that kicked me off on this big horror sprint generally. And it's so good. It's Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. And this is indigenous horror that incorporates, you know, First Nations belief and storytelling. And it was, it's written by a member of Sucker Creek First Nation. So Johns describes herself as a Nahiao auntie, which I just (laughs) love. Um, So she's Cree. And so this book is also about a young woman who's who's Cree, and it comes with content warnings for alcohol addiction and the death of a sibling, so know that going in. But this is a story about Mackenzie, 
who is this young Cree woman living in Vancouver, Canada. She's living away from her family in Alberta. She's living away from all of the things that basically remind her of her sister who died very suddenly. And it really sent ripples across her family and her life. And she's been she's been having a really hard time with the memory of her sister's death. And Mackenzie is not doing too hot in all sorts of ways. So she's barely making ends meet. She's finding herself unable to grieve with her family. And she's also terrorized by these nightmares that seem to follow her into the waking world. So lots of chills right from the opening of the book, um, which starts with one of these nightmares. And Mackenzie's been dealing with these dreams when we're introduced to her. They've been in her life for a short while, but they've just started to really ramp up. So the nightmares are really violent. They dredge up her sister's death in the worst ways. She's haunted by this feeling of intense guilt, but the way that these dreams threaten her beyond sleep have sort of forced her to return to rural Alberta and to her family that she's been avoiding for a long time to better understand what's happening to her. And also she hopes to find a way to make the dreams stop. So in Alberta, she's reunited with her family, which she's worked really hard to keep out of her life. And it's kind of up in the air whether she and her mom and her sister, cousin and aunties can mend the damage that's been done in all sorts of ways uh, by all sorts of parties. And it's about this community of women coming together, heeding indigenous wisdom, especially from their elders. And there are also just these really creepy moments that happen in these nightmares and in Mackenzie's life in general involving dark woods and crows following her around and phantoms and malevolent spirits. But it's also about generations of women coming together and a group of young women entering adulthood under some truly dire circumstances. And I just loved everything about this story. There's, you know, this is a book that's written about Cree people by a Cree person. There is queer rep. There's just a lot of inclusivity in general. And there's things you learn about Cree belief, especially in regards to the natural world. And it's also about the consequences of capitalism and exploitation of the land, colonization, displacement. There's a lot of like really heavy stuff that happens in this book, really heavy conversations and things to, to think about after you finish reading it. And the writing is also just really gripping and compelling. And the reason this book worked for me and why I kept going for more horror books is that I was just like enthralled from the first paragraph and I just mm. could not stop reading because it was just written so well and the characters 
just spoke to me. They were really well-written, fully fleshed. And we also, in addition to this story about grief and about the traumas that have happened to the land and to indigenous people, we also get these small, warm moments of just being among people who care about you, um, including community and sisterhood. And it made me really excited to read whatever John's writes next, because I love this book. So again, that's Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. So if you were going to compare it to Lone Women, which we just talked about, scarier, less scary, equally scary? Like, where is it on the horror scale uh, if Lone Women is our comp? I would say scarier. Okay. (laughs) Noted. I I was like, I can't lie. Don't lie to me, Sharifa. But it's It's been on my radar, but I wasn't sure if it would go too far for me or not. So it's not like gruesome. It's not super gory. Okay. Uh, Is that true? (laughs) You're like, well, well, it's all right. It's all right. I've been warned. I might give it a try, but I'll know going in that it's got some some spicy stuff in there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, my. My, like, really kind of cozy, not 100% cozy, but cozy vibes uh, sci-fi pick for (laughs) us that Sharifa was referencing earlier is not scary in the, like, horror sense. It is has some great action, though. It is The Mimicking of Known Successes by Malka Older. And I did not realize until I was prepping for this show that it is the first in a planned series, which I could not be more excited about. Like, this is, oh, I loved it so much. It's a novella, so it, you will just tear right through it. Um, I have read, I believe, everything that Mal Older has written, I, or at least that I'm aware, every book. Let's go that way. There's probably short stories maybe that I don't know about. But I've read all the books. Love, love, love what Older does. And this is a real different vibe for her. Um, it is nothing tonally like infomocracy. So that was super interesting. I love it when authors do different things. So um, this is a, you know, they pitched it as like a cozy like Sherlock Holmes-esque murder mystery with a female-female romance set on Jupiter. All of those things are true. (laughs) And it's kind of amazing because it is like future sci-fi. But what's genius about what Older has done here, and I like can't believe I haven't seen this before, um, maybe I just haven't read it, is that it's a gas lamp vibe because they're on Jupiter, which is like a gas giant, right? Ah. And has so much, like that's the prominent source of energy for the humans who have colonized uh sort of they're like it's like they're not actually on the ground because there is no ground right like they're they cannot access ground so humanity had like got to jupiter made a colony and like are living on these rings these metalish rings around the planet that have trains so there's so much about it that feels like oldie time but it is future stuff so it's like very cool actually it's super cool it's a really interesting meld of gas lamp like Holmes era vibes but it is like a future technology situation so I really loved that 
sort of dichotomy of the way Older's playing with this. And it is so fun. You get both perspectives of Masa, who is our, you know, Sherlock Holmes investigator, very sort of... Um, how do I want to say this? Like not super into like people's feelings Mm -hmm. and like not super good at dealing with people's feelings either. Like aware, she's aware that people have feelings. Like she might even have some feelings, but like, that's not what she's super interested in. Very smart. A little bit out there. (laughs) And this man goes missing. They're like, did he jump from the platform? Was he murdered? Did he just disappear? Like what? is going on and Masa is an investigator and she gets tagged to investigate this and he was a professor and so that means she has to go to Val de Gild is the name of like the city university area and she runs into well she actually seeks out her former girlfriend because she's looking for information about this guy and she figures you know maybe Platy knows some things about him also it's clear that she like Maybe she has some like unresolved feelings there. So this and then you get Platy's perspective, who is like a scholar and is not exactly prepared to be part of an investigation and yet becomes essential to the investigation. And I just I loved these two so much. I loved the way the mystery unfolded. I cannot get enough of this like atmosphere. It is so well done. I just thought it was like dare I say like a perfect story like oh there's like I I just loved it I love I tore through it I will read it again like it's very rereadable um and it poses some really interesting questions about because you know humanity is sort of paused on Jupiter like are they they really want to go back to earth and everybody at the university is like trying to figure out how they make earth habitable again because of course we have done the thing that we are doing, which is to make Earth uninhabitable. So they're trying to figure out how to do that. And there's a lot of different theories and philosophical questions about what that looks like that come out in the course of this investigation and these characters as they, you know, try to figure out, like, what is going on here. And I thought it was just so smart, so interesting, like, not quite like any other... um, you know, space, like, uh, you know, solar system colonization story I've read. It was very different from most of the ones that I've read. So I just loved everything about it. Um, And I'm like, just put the next one into my eyeballs. Like, when? (laughs) When do we get the next one? I want it so bad. Um, It's next year. It already has a title, though. It's The Imposition of Unnecessary Obstacles, which, like, love it. Love everything about it. So that was The Mimicking of Known Successes. It's the first in the Masa and Platy uh, series by Malka Older. Uh, I'm so glad it's as good as I hoped it would be. Yes. I can't wait to it. Is. It is. It's so good. Well, I'm going to talk about a specul- work of speculative fiction in translation, and it is Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez. This is translated by Megan McDowell. And I just want to start out by saying this is one of those rare books where I am compelled to say right from the jump that it has all of the trigger warnings. Mm. Like, I struggled to think of a warning that did not apply to this book. So I'm just going to say it has 
if if there's something that um, qualifies, it is probably in this book. It is. It might be the most disturbing book I've ever read. It is definitely (laughs) the most disturbing book I have ever finished. (laughs) It is like that. Like, I just want to say that going in because there were multiple times I thought I would not get to the end and I just had to finish it. And this is why it is on this list because it disturbed me and unsettled me in so many ways, but it was like nothing I had read before. So... If you are still curious, here's what it is about. (laughs) So the biggest chunks of the book are told from two perspectives. So we have Juan and his son, Gaspar. They take up like their perspectives, take up the biggest parts of the book. We also get the perspectives of Rosario, who's Juan's wife and Gaspar's mother, and also Rosario's half-sister, and there's also um, the perspective of a journalist and some others, but those are like sort of scattered through. Rosario has a bit of a chunk because we want to know what happened to her because the whole uh, catalyst for this story is that she she died under mysterious circumstances and Juan and Gaspar are on this big road trip and you quickly find out that it is not a sort of vacation style, we're just spending time together sort of road trip. There are a lot of things that Juan has to accomplish in order to protect Gaspar. And this is a sprawling story with a cult of the occult at the center. So there's a lot of dark magic at work in the story and driving the plot is this cult as their leadership continues this legacy of exploiting, torturing, abusing, and killing to harness and use the power of this dark presence that kind of haunts the story uh, from beginning to end. So Juan is on this road trip when the book opens um, and he's on a mission and he's setting things in motion to protect Gaspar from the order. And this is all coming from Juan's perspective. And you quickly learn why Juan distrusts this cult, the order, and why he's so desperate to save what little he has left of his life, uh, which is, has been and is in peril. And Juan is not a heroic father figure. I I don't think there's there might be like one character that did not upset or annoy or make me angry in this book. <laughs> <laughs> there are some despicable things about a lot of characters including Juan. Um he is uh He does some things to his family and the people he loves that I just found awful. And I think anybody would. He's a really hard person to like, but he's also this really magnetic, otherworldly, you know, described as a very handsome, charismatic man. He's also fiercely protective of Gaspar, who he loves, but his love is also very destructive. And then we get Gaspar's perspective, and Gaspar grows up really confused about his family, about their wealth, about why he's not allowed to talk to his grandparents, and 
what is going on with his father, why he has these really dramatic mood swings. And he's also plagued by this heart ailment um, that seems to be more than just a, a standard health issue. Uh, there is a lot at play. And so Gaspar's perspective comes into play as he's coming of age in this town that is removed from his relatives. He has these friends who also don't understand his family life and feel like everything about Gaspar and his father is sort of shrouded in secrecy, but they're a really loyal, tight-knit group. And they all get drawn into this bigger battle between Juan and the Order, and it's uncertain whether the pieces Juan set on the board will protect his son in the end. It's it's There's so much danger around every corner, and so many bad things happen to so many people. Uh, this is a really layered story. It jumps back and forth in time between the 60s, 80s, and 90s, and it is this story about a cult of the super wealth, wealthy upper class that also explores Argentina's um, dirty war. It's the story where nobody's safe. The worst case scenario is waiting around the corner for everybody. It's gruesome. It's bloody. It's violent. It explores Argentina's disappeared, which mm. are people who were, you know, anybody who was suspected of being a political dissenter was subject to being tortured, kidnapped, killed. Um, it was really terrible time for anybody who had an opinion that did not go with, you know, the status quo. And this book does a really good job of just like unflinchingly exploring those things, unflinchingly looking at how classism was also part of that. Um, also, talking about how the indigenous people of the region were affected and how they have been exploited by the upper class and the politics of the day. And it just goes on a tear. It is a really, <laughs> really terrifying, just like deeply unsettling story that is again, like just so unique and so strange that I I don't know when I'm going to read anything quite like it again. But yeah, truly a haunting story about the occult. And again, that was Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez, translated by Megan McDowell. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Super <All> rough. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, my fantasy pick is a different kind of rough, but also has some some rough spots in it. So that's uh, we've we've got that going here. Um, my fantasy pick is a debut. It is the Daughters of Izdihar by Hadir Elzbai. And it is actually also part of it's a planned two book series. So um, this is the first one just came out. And this book I really enjoyed it's it, it's a different kind of again I'm always like it's different of course it's different I'm a different person it's a different book like but anyway I really enjoyed it it is a um sort of historical 
uh, take on Egyptian history. It is a second world. It's not meant to be Egypt proper, um, but it is inspired by Egyptian history, which is, um, you know, Elsby is Egyptian herself. And it is very much about the fight for women's suffrage, but with magic, because there is also elemental magic at play in this world. And this is a an oppressive patriarchy that is also struggling with whether or not to embrace, legalize, train, et cetera, folks who have this elemental magic because there was like a very big previous war that involved it and, you know, atrocities happened. And so there's a lot of split opinions on this magic. And we have two main characters, um, Nahal, who is from a very aristocratic family. They are, you know, it's very like Austin, like they're falling on hard times because the father is gambling away all their money. And um, but she is used to being in the upper class, having upper class things. She's used to getting her way. And that continues until the day when her mother is like, by the way, you are getting married to the eldest male of this other family. That is a lot of money. And they want to be associated with our, you know, prestige, our family's prestige. Um, and nothing that Nehal says can talk them out of this. And this is not her plan. She wanted to go to the university, which has only recently started accepting women to study her magic because she has water magic. And she's been able to figure some stuff out on her own. But, like, she wants to be a soldier, actually, for her country. There's, like, potential war on the horizon with a neighboring country who have completely outlawed magic. And so she wants to be, like, this is her dream. She's going to go to the university. She's going to learn to control her magic. And she's going to fight in service of her country. That is not what her family is on board with in any way, shape, or form. And then it turns out that the man that she is marrying has had an affair with a young poor bookseller named Georgina, who also has magic. She has earth magic. Um, and she is from, you know, an extremely impoverished family. She works in a bookstore um, both to give herself some, you know, to help support her family, but also to give herself some independence. And she has become part of this political party, the Daughters of Izdihar, who are fighting for women's suffrage. And she dreams of going to the university, but she knows she'll never be able to afford it and it's like a pipe dream for her and she tries not to use her magic she's kind of got it on the down low because again a public popular opinion is very split on this especially when it comes to women with power so you know she is not trying to be found out and you think at the start of this story that these two are going to be set against each other by the circumstances right one is rich and spoiled one is poor and hardworking. that you know they're both like attached to this guy Nico like of course they're gonna be enemies but that is not what happens and I loved the way Elsby plays with these two because neither one of them is like right all the time or is the correct one and they don't interact in the ways that you might expect and it's really lovely to see um, that exploration of a complicated very complicated female really friendship dynamic relationship dynamic that is not oppositional even though that's what the system around them wants it to be and the ways that they navigate it the way that nico navigates that um and ends up you know playing a strong role in trying to help them uh in their fight for agency and of course suffrage uh, 
for all women in this country is really well done, I felt. Now, it I mean, this is it's an oppressive patriarchy. So there's some rough stuff here. There's violent misogyny, there's sexual assault, there's police brutality, and there is institutionalized homophobia. So like, it's not a fun time for them <laughs> like it wasn't historically and is still not for women around the world and marginalized genders who are fighting for rights. You know, queer folks, trans folks, non-binary folks, women um, all over the world are still struggling and in America are struggling to have their rights. And so this is not new. And we know what it looks like. We know what it looks like. And that's what it looks like on the pages here. You just also get magic and this really lovely look at what it's like to have power that you don't know how to control, what it's like to use the power you do have and you try to do it for the best, but you don't always do it right. Um, and because it is the first in a sequel, it, there is no tidy ending here. It is very like, oh, no, what is going to happen now? Um, it's pretty intense, y'all. <laughs> There's some great action sequences. There's some really lovely quiet moments. I just and I, I will say I love Nahal so much. I was surprised but she became such a compelling character over the course of this book. And I was like, what is she going to do next, y'all? Like, what is she going to do? <laughs> um, and Georgina, there are just several moments that just tear my heart out for Georgina. So I got really attached to these characters, obviously. Um, and I'm really, I'm like, I'm ready. Bring on book two. I know we're like a ways out from that, but I'm ready for <laughs> book two right now. Uh, so again, that's The Daughters of Izdihar by Hadir Elzbai. What a great, that book sounds amazing. And all of these picks have been so great. I'm I'm so glad we found some good stuff to read this week. Yeah, quarter. it's a good quarter. There were so many more too that I was yeah. like, oh, that would be good. I just didn't get to them. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> more books to read as always, <laughs> as always. Forever and ever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I hope everybody else out there is finding some great reads, but that's it for us today. SFF Yet is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. You can find more recommendations at bookriot.com and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us as usual at sffyet at bookriot.com. Let us know if you've read anything really fantastic this quarter. And if you have the time, Please do review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you listen because it really does help people find us. And in the meantime, you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? Still over on Tumblr at jenirl.tumblr.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I am on Instagram at S-Sinab Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time.